The God that we serve is ready and willing to bless us now in this coming year. He's an awesome God. In fact, we can be singing here every single day, every single minute. Find every single book that we can find from George Beverly Shea to whomever has written. And we will not yet adequately be able to describe in lyrics and in music and in singing and clapping and in dancing the awesomeness of God. He's just beyond our wildest, wildest, exaggerated memories. I mean, I really mean that. Uh, just when you think you know him, he surprises you again. I mean, the, the, the collective uh, a gray material of this congregation and many thinkers that have come and gone in the history of mankind, you put all of that, you pool all, all of that gray matter together, and even then we will not be able to comprehend God. No single mind is able to even contain thoughts, the abstractness of God, the, 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 the unfathomable th sides of God. Unbelievable. I mean, there are, no there are not enough words. Spanish is a romance language that is very eloquent, and even there we fi I find myself short in finding words to be able to describe how vast, how high, how deep, how profound, uh, how mysterious, yet how revealed the contradictions that we find in the deity is just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Your mind cannot contain it. And by the way, your mind is exceptional. Well, I'm going to say it to me. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> Should I say it again? Your mind is exceptional. Amen. To think about what happens between your ears and behind your eyes is just fascinating. I mean, in your eye, in here, in behind here, we, we create things, we invent things, and some even kill people in here. Make tons of money, waste a lot of money. In here, it's amazing, the, the mind. Someone said years ago, I know it's changed drastically, especially after the invention of and the advances in computer science, but certainly when I was in, the, in that industry, that the mind is so powerful that you would need a computer probably the size of four or five Empire State Buildings to contain the thought process and machinations that are possible in a young mind. In a young mind. In a young mind. And then it says, the, 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 the illustration continues, that you would need all of the water falling over Niagara Falls just to keep that computer cool. And you've got more power than that inside of your brain. Isn't it amazing? You can actually forge your future, devise your future, shape your future, or your demise right in here. And God created us. And so our mind individually and even collectively cannot, is not able. I had a professor in seminary that said, uh, Dr. Sullivan, that said, even if you think that you've arrived and you know God and you've studied every angle and anything written about God in every single language and in every single persuasion and philosophy, you will just barely be getting to know the soul of the shoes that he wears. It's just amazing. When you think you know him and you got him down pegged, all of a sudden he slips away from you all of a sudden. You think you know God. Tell me how the tropical fish get their colors. You think you know God. Who sends the wind to go from one side of the other? Do you know? That was a whole debate that God had with Job. We'll come back in February and look at that very closely. Where were you? When I went, and the constellations filled the sky. That's what he told him. And so our mind is not able to comprehend God. You would fool yourself to think that you know God. We do not know God. We're not capable. All that we could ever possibly attain in the knowledge, the intellectual knowledge of the deity of God is found in Scripture. All, all that we could contain. Now, now, all of God is not in here because God is bigger than this book. But what God did so wisely, he put in this book all of the ideas and principles and, and thoughts that we could handle. 
It's like a little child. You know, when a baby is born, you don't go with a big shovel and start feeding them baby food. No, you get a tiny little spoon, and you spoon feed them very closely until they learn to eat. The same thing you and I. This is just a baby spoon that shows us what God really is. One day we will be able to discover. I love it when Paul tells, uh, in, the, in the book of Timothy, he tells Timothy that one day we'll be able to see clearly. We'll be able to understand. We'll be able to, to know beyond what our reason, logic, and, 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 and humanism can, can, uh, uh, can deduct. But what I'd like to do over this next uh, 21 days is I've embarked on a series. I started it yesterday, and we will continue it today is I want to uh, guide you in the discoveries that I've made about putting God into our day. Is it possible to fit God, the vast God, the broad God, the wide God, the high God, is it possible to put that God into our day? I think the answer is easy based on my few comments a few moments ago. Absolutely not. He's too big. He's too big. But what I want to attempt to do is to fit God into our day by looking at elements, attributes, characteristics of who he is. The Jewish tradition understands very clearly that God is so wide. In fact, God is so broad in the Jewish tradition that they don't even use the name God. They just put G slash D because he's just too vast to be able to comprehend. He's so holy and high and righteous and divine that even the human tongue in Jewish tradition is not capable nor worthy of speaking his name. And speaking his name, we actually demerit him, devalue him in Jewish tradition. So follow me over the next several weeks. I started yesterday. We'll continue today. And every time we gather to pray over the next 21 days, we will be looking at little portions of God, small segments of him. I want to uh, explain to you some of, of, of what I've discovered. And then pray. Please pray. Help me pray. Because with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able then to, to figure out what does that mean for us today. I'm not big on showing people how brilliant things are in these abstract thoughts if it doesn't mean anything today. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you're a single mom here raising kids, what does it matter about Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew in the Bible? Doesn't matter. You're trying to get the kids home in time to get them ready for school the next day. So really, the, 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 the purpose of truth, as God has revealed it through Christ Jesus, and what I want to try to do from this sacred desk, is to be able to get us to a place where we realize, oh, that awesome element, characteristic, attribute of God, now I understand a little bit of it here, but what does it, what does it mean to my life today? Yesterday in the reflection, what I did is I extracted from uh, 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 Exodus chapter 3, that crazy conversation that Moses had with, with, uh, with God. Remember, God was trying to convince him, come on, I have a task for you to do. And then Moses did what, what so many of us do so often, is that he disqualified himself before God. He said, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't speak, I can't go. I don't have enough, I'm not able. Get someone else. It's like what we do when God asks us to do something. We start talking about, well, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too smart, I'm too dumb, I can't speak, I can speak, I can, all these other things. But rather than trust God. Finally, in the conversation between uh, uh, God and, uh, and, uh, and Moses, Moses says, well, if I decide to do that, if, what you're telling me to do, get the people out of captivity, and the people ask me, who sent me, who should I say? Again, because remember, the Hebrew mind, names had power. Names, names meant something. And he told them very clearly, you'll see it in Exodus chapter 3. This is yesterday's reflection. And he says to him very clearly, tell them I am sent you. And now this, that name or attribute of God has been looked at in very, various angles. But again, what I want to do today here at 207, 209 East Broadway, and those watching us via Ustream, is all I want to do is to be able to have you capture, hook into something that will help you today. That's all I want to do. 
So he said, I am that I am. Now, that's been looked at so many ways. And it really means, you know, I'll, I'll become whatever it is that you want me to become. I'll, 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 I'll become tangible in the way that you need me to become tangible. But I think this is what, I, what I'd like to transmit with you today. And that is that uh, uh, Moses had told God all of his insufficiencies, all the areas of lack, all of the I can'ts, he played them out to God. In the middle of that conversation, God tells him, I am. In other words, God is telling Moses, and he's telling us today, he is here, and this year what he wants to do is fill all the crevices and the voids in your life of all those things that you thought you could not do. All those limitations that you placed on yourself. All those voids and, and fractures that are inside of our psyche and our being that actually are, we, we rationalize away and we say, I can't do it because of this, because, you know, I'm a woman and this is a man's world and there's a man's industry. Or I was born and I lived in the projects and I could never make it. Or whatever it is that you put, I, I don't know how to read and write or I invert numbers and I, I'm dyslexic or whatever. You make all these excuses. God is saying to you today that he is the great I am. And he wants to insert himself in those areas that are void in your life, those areas of insufficiency. And he wants to diminish those to the degree that you will be able to say, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want. You know why? Because when you allow God to fill those voids in your life, only he can get the glory of the final project. Only he can get the uh, glory out of what results from your obedience because that's what God is looking for. He's looking for our obedience. Today what I want to do is look at three uh, elements of God in this passage because I was yesterday, but today... And then later on at 4 o'clock, I'll give you a fourth one later on because I've really studied this quite a bit. And I want to share with you. He starts to tell us, and, and, and listen to this because this might shock some, some, some of you here today. But in order to fit God into our day, we not only have to see him as the I am, he said that, but we also have to see God as the God of wrath. In fact, let me say it another way. The God of vengeance. The God of vengeance. And when we think about it, we think of a roar, darkened sky, the furor of heaven all of a sudden being unleashed and storms and lightning all over the place and the destruction of everything around. But let me make a distinction here because vengeance is an interesting subject. The Bible says very clearly that God says vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, have you ever thought about why God said that? Because there's a difference between human vengeance and godly vengeance. Watch this. Human vengeance and what God does with regard to vengeance. Because he is a God of vengeance. Look at the book of Nahum. N-A-H-U-M. We're going to go into that for a moment. I'm going to read some passages there from you. And there's a difference. In human vengeance, you know what human vengeance is? That you go absolutely crazy and you kill everybody. You burn the lawn. The fish in the fish tank die. You cut the cords. You smash the computer. Even the innocent pay. Human wrath or human vengeance is described, you know how it's described? As uncontrolled madness. You don't care who gets it, everybody's getting it. Right? That's when mama comes home or papa comes home, in my case, and only one of my five brothers was the one that was out of line, and my father comes in, he didn't care whether it was one that was out of line. You're all pain. That's vengeance. Vengeance does away and attacks and unloads and unleashes on the, on the guilty, but also on the innocent, on the complete innocent. Vengeance is that, uh, a human vengeance is that, that bottled up energy of negativity, of destruction, 
of evil, really, of evil that is inside, that no matter how it comes out, it's all going to come out. Vengeance is what we saw in Boston when that bomb went off. Vengeance is when that person walked into that school and killed all those children in Connecticut. That's vengeance. Human vengeance is destructive to everyone. And also human vengeance is irrational. It does not make sense. Try to figure out the logic behind what just happened in Paris. It's illogical. Vengeance. Vengeance is a machination of the, of the human heart that is depraved, that is evil, that is destructive and takes no prisoners. Vengeance, human vengeance is you hit me and I'm going to hit you back. I don't care if as I'm swinging to you, I knock out grandma. That's vengeance. Yes, that's vengeance. Vengeance is uncontrolled. Vengeance is illogical. Vengeance is uncontrolled madness. Godly wrath or godly vengeance is different. If you look at the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, the Old Testament, verses 1, verses through to 8, look at what it says here. It says in the text, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. So we got it, right? Now look at the next phrase. It says, the Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. But he's describing here godly vengeance, not human vengeance. And he continues to say, the Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemy. So it's different. God's vengeance and God's wrath is surgically targeted at enemies. It's surgically targeted at those individuals or those scheming things that come against people that are doing good. Very, very big difference. Uh, it's like a, a, a godly uh, a vengeance is like the, the master neurological surgeon. Right? Now let's say you have a buddy that plays pool and you need heart surgery. And your buddy that plays pool with you in the pool hall he always loses because he can't aim for anything. His hand is always shaking and he, gets, he doesn't get it. But he tells you, no, but I took a course in science. I need heart surgery. Open up my, go ahead, put the pool cue down and operate on me. Are you going to let him operate on you? No, because he will kill you and everyone around you. But if you take the hand of a masterful surgeon, someone that has been trained and skilled, the, these individuals are amazing. If you've ever met one, First of all, they don't let you, when you greet them, they don't let you squeeze their hand too much because their hands are their tools of miracles, right? The other thing is, they have this ability, because even you and I, right now, you don't may not see it, but my hand is trembling, not because I'm nervous, not because I'm cold, it just trembles because it trembles, right? These surgeons have a way of being able to stay so calm even in the most adverse situations. That's part of their training. Read the book Gifted Hands by Ben Carson, who happens to be running for president right now. That's not an endorsement of any kind. I'm just saying, read the book. You'll see his, his traveling from having nothing to going forward. Gifted Hands, it's called. Very steady. Very steady. And what do they do? A, a gifted surgeon can go in, can pull away all of the good tissue and all of the good organ, and target, laser target the malady and take it out without damaging anything else. That's God. God is able to surgically go in there and remove what is the problem. Remove what the, ad, ad, the, the adversary is doing without killing you. That's godly vengeance. That's what the Lord does. He vets out 
His wrath, for, that, that's the way it says in, in a word that we can understand in, in Shakespeare's English. It, his wrath against people. His wrath is directed. It, it's a reaction to evil, to habitual and blatant disobedience. That's what God's wrath comes against. That's why sometimes when God is coming against situations, you need to pull away so you don't get splattered by what God is going to do. God's wrath, listen to me closely, and, and vengeance is always righteous, always just. And it is experienced only after a long period of patience. Because God is patient. And he waits. We mess up. Maybe not you, but the person next to you messes up. God waits. Maybe not this service. Maybe the earlier service. But God waits. God is a patient God. He puts up with a lot of nonsense that we put, up, uh, put before him. But he waits. And he says very clearly, and the Lord takes, takes on his foes. And vents his wrath against the enemies. The Lord, Lord is slow to anger. There's a, there's a powerful teaching here for human interaction. And church, don't never do anything out of anger. When you do things out of anger, you'll mess it up. Never say a word out of anger. You're better off to having a 24-hour cooling down period. Take a cold bath or go play naked in the snow. <laughs> Something. I had to get your attention some way. Don't even look at that image anymore. Get it out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> whenever you do things out of anger you mess things up even attempting to do good you mess things up use that this year don't, don't, don't move out of anger you may want to you say my, bo my, my blood is boiling alright but chill out for a moment it says here that God is slow to anger but great in power and the Lord will not leave say not leave the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished in other words, he will take care of those people that come up against you. He will take care of situations that are being destructive toward you. Going back to the, the, my, my example of, of, of surgeons. Surgeons, technology has advanced so much that they, don't even, they can almost do surgery blindfolded because of all of these cameras and things that they can look around corners and look. It's amazing how they can do things. God is the same way. You don't need to see your foes defeated this year. You don't need to see your adversaries being brought to their knees. You just need to be obedient to God and trust the Lord that he is a vengeful God, a God that will handle the stuff that you should not touch. Look at the text. It says, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. Awesome power. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all that live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy, right? All of a sudden it changes. Here he is doing all this crazy war stuff, bombs blowing all over the place. And then, the, then Nahum says, the Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. And that means that in the middle of devastation, in the middle of God cleaning up, in the middle of God uh, uh, pulling out, in the middle of God uh, clearing the path for you, and all of the debris and dust that is flying all over the place, God will shield you in the middle of that action. That's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. He is so surgically inclined. He is so precise in, in his pre precision to be able uh, to get rid of, and, uh, of, of, of adversaries. That you will not be touched. The last part of the reading for, from Nahum. It says, he cares for those who trust him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make end to Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realms of darkness. Understand, church, that God is a God of wrath, a God of vengeance. Put it in his hands. 
Don't take it unto yourself to get even. In fact, don't even have the thought, but don't execute that thought. Don't try and, and fix things that are really to be left to God to fix. People will misunderstand you this year. And maybe bleeding over from last year, there's misunderstandings, there's cloudy and muddled waters in your life. Maybe in your workplace right now, things aren't clear. The path that you want to take is not clear. Maybe with your family, there's, a, there, 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 there's wind blowing all over the place. It says here very clearly, trust in God. Put your life in his hands. Follow my lead as I pastor this church. Put your life in his hands. Worship him. Adore him. Let him handle situations. And God will always, always, always met out his wrath and make sure that the good and the righteous are not affected. Praise the Lord forevermore. Hallelujah. He's a God of wrath and vengeance. Squeeze him into the day. Second part, second aspect of God that I want to, oh, actually the third one that I want to talk about today is that we serve a God of grace. A God of grace. And this is an interesting attribute of God and it shows that God grants favor where it is undeserved. We always talk about un, uh, it's unmerited favor. Yes, it's favor. It's, a, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's God's a providence where it isn't un, where it, where it's undeserved. Uh, we're not getting what we deserve. Mankind is not getting what it deserved. Uh, we deserve condemnation and separation from God. The sin that was introduced to the history of mankind uh, in, in the Garden of Eden has destroyed any path that we have to God. But God, because of his grace, decided, and we just celebrated Christmas, decided to abandon eternity and incarnate and appear and become our Savior. God's grace, it also implies for us, listen to this, I love this part. God's grace not only implies that we get unmerited favor, we have his love and consideration from those that want the opposite from us. God bestows that upon us and showers us and lavishes us. But God is a God of grace, and it also implies that he cancels debt. He cancels, and I'm not talking about financial. He cancels. You don't, when you come to the Lord and you're living with, and you're living a, a life of sincerity, integrity, and honesty with God, God begins to cancel situations. You don't have to go back and redo and, re, and undo anything. You just keep trusting the Lord, and God will start to unravel and unpack and straighten paths that were crooked that you left in the past. Now, this is hard to do because most of us here are New Yorkers, or at least we're from the Northeast, and we want to be able to handle things on our own, so, and it's hard to let go. But we have to be able to let things go and let God deal with situations. No one can do it better than God. No one. So it implies the cancellation of debt, a debt that cannot be, be repaid. Glorious grace is a divine action that cannot be understood. In fact, just the very fact that a divine cosmic God uh, abandons his eternal dwelling to then enter and step into limited time and now, not only that, but he appears in incarnation, John, in the prologue of John chapter 1, and he appears now as a fragile baby. That, that, that blows your mind. How can a God so big now, all of a sudden, come and dwell with us? But that's grace. We should have been forgotten. We should have been pushed aside. But God, you know what? Your ex may have forgotten you, but God hasn't. Your last boss kicked you out and took the keys, but God hasn't taken away your life. The situation that you're facing may be one that seems destructive right now. And there's no, there seems to be no way out. But you know what? God is watching out for you. And his divine grace is that he will come and he will redeem. Because redemption is part of the, 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 the plan or included in the elements of grace. Redemption. 
where God brings value back to our life. You may be starting the year thinking, what am I going to do? It's the same old, same old all over again. Uh, I'm not worth anything. Nobody wants me. I'm here to tell you that God redeems. God's grace redeems. Redemption is that God brings value back. It brings value back. You know, when you redeem a bottle that's been thrown away, it ends up in the garbage. Nobody's going to want it, but you take it and you redeem it in the store. They put value back to that piece of glass or that can that was discarded. God wants to put value back in your life this year. Friends, family, these loved ones, people you gave your heart to, told you no, destroyed your emotions and threw it on the ground and then stepped all over it and you feel worthless. But I want to tell you that God's grace puts back value into your life. He wants to deposit value back into your existence. Grace means that nothing is lost in him. Everything is, has worth. He wants to grant us forgiveness and of sin for everything that has happened. That's God's grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get what God gives for us through his grace. Look at it. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. He says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Note the word, which he has freely given unto us, uh, to, to the one he loves, reference to Jesus. In him we have redemption. So grace opens the door for redemption. Through his blood opens the door for forgiveness of sin according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's amazing because grace is not about a membership card. Grace is not about finishing a discipleship class. Grace is simply that God is so concerned about his creation that he steps into our journey and helps us out. Woo! Woo! My voice is healed. Woo! <laughs> that's amazing think about it he doesn't cast you out even though we deserved it we don't deserve to be in the room we don't deserve to be in his audience but yet the door is open because of God's grace God's grace so he is a God of wrath and vengeance he is a God of grace let me, let me share with you the last one the fourth one that I want to share with you today and that is that God is our God of comfort Woo. I like this one. Comfort is that word that means consolation. To bring relief. To ease or lift a burden. To remove a suffering. Sometimes we go under the notion and we think that if someone has lost a loved one, if I go and I say the right thing to them, I'll make them feel well. Sometimes the best thing we could say is nothing. Sometimes we think, well, if I give them five verses that I discovered, that's going to ease the pain of the divorce or the child that has gone uh, wayward. Sometimes the best thing to do is hold off on those verses to later on. Or we think, you know what, I, this, this tape and this book really blessed me when I was going through my stuff. Here, read it. The last thing, that some, when somebody is un, in an uncomfortable situation or uh, grieving, the last thing they want to do is read. And the last thing they want to do is read a book that you're recommending. But we think that that's the way to do it. God is the God of comfort. God is the God of comfort because, you know, when, when nobody understands, he does. You ever, you ever try to explain somebody where you are emotionally and you realize that they're not enough words that you can't adequately describe and then they, they misunderstand some cue, some word that was said and now they think they got it but they don't have it and then you don't have the strength to be able to tell them, no, 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 you're actually not helping me. Go, go visit somebody else. 
You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that moment where all the talking is gone, all the friends are gone, and it's the middle of the night sitting on the edge of your bed. You still have this hurricane inside. You feel like you don't belong. You feel the weight of rejections. Your head, you wish you could stop your thinking. You say, Lord, all these questions of why. And all of a sudden, and, and, and I can't explain it adequately, but there you are, and all of a sudden, like somebody walked in. And it's still dark. You didn't turn on a light. And all of a sudden, you, you feel like the, the soothing hands is just holding you. A firm, strong, but gentle. The contradictions of God. Strong, firm, but gentle. Strong, firm, but gentle arm. You, you, you ever been in a place that's bleak, that's dark? It's not that you're not saved. It's not that you're not going. No, no, none of that. It's just emotionally. You're in this place that you know you shouldn't be there, but you can't help being there, and you can't even describe it. But you want to get out, and you don't even know how. You don't know who, what 800 number should I call, who should I, no one, no one is. You're living in a city of millions of people, but you feel like you're the only. And all of a sudden, you can't explain. You don't know how it happens. This God of comfort shows up. Scoops you up because you can't walk. You can't get yourself to where the place of blessing is. And he scoops you up because you can no longer carry yourself. And this God of grace takes you out of that mud and mire of confusion, of questions, darkness, and brings you to the other side. And as he's carrying you along, he's stroking you, he's holding you, not even speaking, just simply loving on you. That's the God. I'm not going to get mystical on you, but I'm going to get spiritual on you. And there are those things that are illogical. You lose a loved one, and there's a hole inside of your heart. And you've told people, here's a verse. Here's a book. Watch this video. And even then, when you do all of those exercises, it's, and the other one, it's not that you're not, it's not that you're whole, but it's there. I, I don't want it in me, but it's there. And all of a sudden, in the moment, and it usually happens in those quiet moments when, when we finally learn to shut up and just let God do what he does, that we're overwhelmed by his presence, his glory around us, and he heals the wound. He fills the vacancy, the void that's inside of us, us. And we feel ourselves now ready to take over. And we change. See, because you have a choice, church, to live this year totally depressed, totally unhappy. It's your choice. Or you can say, you know what? I have every reason to be angry. I have every reason for this, this, and go down the list. And logically, it makes sense. But inside, you feel rotten. Inside, emotionally, it's the mess. And I'm here to tell you that what we need to do is squeeze this God of comfort into our day. And say, Lord, even though I don't want to get up in the morning, don't say amen. You know, fasting is easy because I don't want to eat anyway. Don't say amen. 
I'm coming here because I don't have anywhere else to go. Don't say amen. What we really want to do, come on, I'm going to be real honest with you, real open with you, because I'm being honest all along, real open with you. We just want to check out. If we didn't have a problem, we would check out. If we didn't think that that was the wrong exit, we would check out. But I'm here to tell you that God wants to ease the pain, lift the burden, soothe your hurt. He wants to begin to stitch up the bleeding heart and allow you to be filled with his comfort. He is a God of comfort. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. 24 hours later, you're doing it again. Then I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. 24 hours later, you're doing it again. I'll never do it again. And after a while, what the enemy starts breathing on you, stop it already. You already canceled out all your 70 times 70 that he was going to forgive you. It's over. You have no more. You ran out. No more coupons. And then we believe it. And the God of comfort is, is saying to you today, you can get back up. You have not run out of opportunities. My arms are still open for you. Begin this year right. He is. And you know what? A lot of the stuff that we mess up with or in, it really is our fault. But I love it. The God of grace doesn't even hold it, up, hold it against you. You know, the God that comforts, he just doesn't hold it against you. He just allows you to come in and he wraps his arms around you and, and he forgives you and he allows you to walk into this place of prominence. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, Praise be to God, our, uh, uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He will comfort everything. <laughs> Woo. You know, our comforter, he goes deeper and he presents the idea of God comforting us, compelling us uh, to comfort from our troubled times. The fullness of our experience of his comfort is directly connected with our ability to guide, support, and assist others in their life of journey. In other words, what I, what I say with that is that in my ability to be comforted, I just don't want it to be contained with me. But in my comfort, I can also bring a soothing moment for those around me. That's what God does. 